This is a new and strange environment at first, suddenly finding yourself in orbit. Neville Andrew Mara, and this is Never Normal, a show about breaking free from the boring default plan and living life on your terms instead. Justin Gary, welcome back to Never Normal. Oh, it's great to be here as the the OG guest. I'm I'm excited to return and uh, you know share some more wisdom and good chat. You were guest number one, and this will probably end up going out as episode ten. So that's kind of like a nice sort of bookend for the first ten episodes. Last time you were on, we talked a lot about your story and just your path from being in law school and having a sort of more typical career path to where you are now. Obviously, a successful game designer. One of the things that came out in that episode was just this very analytical, carefully thought out approach you have to your path in life and goal setting and stuff that you and I talk about a lot when we're not recording a podcast. So since today's the last day of the year and everybody's kind of thinking about you know, 2020 was crazy and setting goals for 2021 and all that kind of stuff. I thought it'd be fun just to sit down together again, record an episode and talk about how last year went, what we're both planning for next year, lessons learned, and talk about the new project that we've been working on together as well. Yeah, sounds very exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Let's start with 2020. Obviously, this has been a crazy year because of the pandemic. And oh, there was a I, pandemic? I think we... <laughs> <laughs> very different than... Um, I think any of us had in mind and a lot of people's goals just got like tossed out the window. Just in general, how much of your process is at this time of year kind of like thinking about goal setting? How much of it is like, do you start with like a past year review? Um, I do. I, I, my, my reviews used to be a lot more detailed. Um, I used to, so I keep a journal and I uh, would go through like every entry of the journal as well as my goals from the previous year and kind of, you know, analyze all of that and sort of take the sort of best lessons and notes out of everything. Um, and then I would compare them to, I would create a kind of one sheet and I'd compare it to previous one sheets from previous years. So that, you know, sort of like, you know, how well did I do on my goals? What did I learn this year? How could I improve? Like that kind of process. So towards that idea of sort of very analytical, very process driven. Over the, over time, I have shrunk that process down um, because I found it was a little bit cumbersome and it wasn't as necessary for me. So I think that can be a great way to start if you are, an analytical person, if you're just kind of starting out more in life, you're not really sure what, you know, kind of where you're at, but as you get a little bit more established and I use a little, I use more shortcuts. So I do review my goals. Um, and I do think about, you know, what went well, what didn't. And I think about what I want, you know, kind of sort of going forward. Um, but it's a, it's a more, you know, it's, it's a process that takes, you know, a few hours instead of a few weeks, which is what it kind of used to be. Yeah, as I'm going through this myself, this this week, I blocked off this whole week for like no client calls, no strategy calls, only talking to you, talking to a couple other friends, doing this podcast, but really spending most of the time just kind of like reviewing last year, looking ahead to next year, setting goals, doing that kind of like what went well, what didn't. And a couple of things that I'm just sort of like thinking through, 
as this process evolves for me. One is like, and I think for all of us, there are things that in any year, but certainly in this past year, we had on the list, they were like goals for 2020 and they didn't get done. In some cases because of the pandemic and everything that happened, but in other cases, just because, you know, you just never got to it. Do you automatically just sort of like punt those over to next year, kind of like a software backlog, like it didn't make it into that sprint, we bring it forward? Or do you say like, why didn't I do those? How do you, because I'm struggling with some of these where I'm like, yeah, I thought I was gonna do this in 2020. It was out of my control and I didn't. And now I'm like, do I, does that get grandfathered in? Or how do you think about that? Yeah, it's a good question. And uh, it's gonna, it's gonna speak to one of the broader uh, lessons that I've taken and, and dramatic improvements in my own kind of annual review process. And part of why it's so much faster for me now is that I am now much more aggressive about doing quarterly reviews and monthly reviews and things that allow me to, as things move on, uh, to evaluate in shorter chunks. Because what happens for a lot of people, I'm sure plenty of people can relate to this, right? Is you set these goals, you know, and, and maybe it's the end of December, maybe it's the beginning of January, and you've got these ambitious goals of what you're going to get done that year, and you're very excited about it. And maybe for the first week or two, you're you're chugging away, you're getting things done, you're going to the gym, you're writing your book, you're whatever it is that you're doing, right? And then, yeah, you know, you things start to trail off, and you things get busy, and work stuff comes up, and you're tired, whatever it is, right? And then those goals don't get reviewed again until this time of year. And it's like, well, why didn't those things get done? Most of the reason, most of the time is because you're not being realistic and you're not reviewing them and you're not making them front of mind and turning them into things that you can either act on or recognize when you're off track and, you know, either change your goals or reevaluate your path towards it. And so if I look, when I look back at my goals from January of 2020, they are so far off from what I was able to accomplish this year, like so far off. I mean, this was going to be my year of traveling. You and I were going to meet up in Spain and we were going to, I was going to be traveling around Europe and literally like all, you know, obviously all of that stuff fell apart. Um, but because I was able to very reevaluate when I look at my goals that I, you know, did in March, you know, uh, that was much more realistic. And then, you know, even further so, my goals over the summer as I sort of finally settled in that like, no, this pandemic's not going away in a couple of months. This is this is going to be around. Uh, and I was able to reassess and, and kind of reshape those goals. So I think that helps a lot when it comes to evaluating what was going on. And to your broader point of, well, is it, does it just mean I kick the can down the road, which for many of my goals, that's absolutely that most of the time, that's what happens, right? If I, if I'm reviewing my goals quarterly and monthly, what that usually means I'm making some progress, but I didn't quite finish what I thought I was going to finish, right? I'm, and, and I think it's okay to be a little overly ambitious, you know, aggressive, but achievable is what I like to tell my team when we're trying to set deadlines for our company that, you know, if we're never missing any deadlines, then that also means we're not probably pushing as hard as we could. If we're always missing deadlines and we're, you know, we're not, we're not on the right track either. So, so I've learned to give myself a little bit of a break when I'm missing things, as long as I see that I'm making progress and, you know, an aggressive deadline that's missed by a little bit is going to be way more successful overall than, no deadline at all, or, you know, these vague far in the future deadlines. So that's the majority of them. And, and to if, forgive me for a very long answer here, but, but I think it's important because then there are other ones that when you see something that keeps getting kicked down the road again and again and again, that's a good cue that maybe this isn't the right goal for you. And, and maybe that, and, and that's where I either like to go very, very big when I reevaluate it or very, very small. And what I mean by that is that 
if this, what does this goal mean for me in the long term, right? What are the, what are the big things that I'm excited about? How does this fit into my vision for who I want to be and what I want out of my life? And if I can't come up with something compelling there that's really going to drive me, then I got to let it go. Or if it's something where I do think it's something compelling, but I'm not making progress and I see that over time, then I go very, very small and be like, okay, how do I shrink this down to be something that's like very manageable that I'm sure I can do and then take that win and try to roll it up into something bigger. Yeah, we, we, we talk about that one often. I think that's such an undervalued strategy of just like setting yourself up for quick wins, right? Like breaking something down into, I think one of the examples we used recently was like, I don't know, you want to start saving for retirement. And people are like, well, I'm going to try to save like, you know, $10,000 or something, which is great. But they just, it's so far from where they are right now. I'm like, how about make the goal, like ask HR for like the form to open a 401k account. Like that's a good one. Like, cause you could just do that right now while you still have the motivation and get like a tiny bit of momentum going towards the goal rather than just like setting it way far out in the future. Yeah. For me, I think there are some of the 2020 things that just didn't get done because of the pandemic, like travel for you. One of those for me was spending more time doing like language immersion and learning Spanish uh, in like a classroom setting. I do like Duolingo and stuff like that, but I really wanted to take advantage of being in Spain and like, I'm learning something, but nowhere near what I I mean, my quarter one goal was to be like way further on than I was a year into it and a bunch of other stuff like that. That's kind of like location and, and being around people dependent. One of the goals that I had in 2020 was actually to launch a course that I've been thinking about, talking about for a long time, but not really actively working on. And this past year was supposed to be the year that I finally did that. And so in, in reviewing, and, and this came up earlier in the year, but really this past week really brought me back to that of like actually having to admit to myself that yes, that was actually a goal this year, right? Because it's so easy to sort of just like push those away once you stop kind of working on them. And part of the benefit of that review is just keeping yourself honest and seeing like, oh yeah, I I did say I was going to do that. So yeah, why didn't I? Was it a bad fit? Did I not try? Did something more important come up? And in the case of the course, I think what I realized was that I was really looking for like the last step of a process, the the end results, like saying, I don't know, I want to I want to win a bodybuilding competition as the goal rather than like, I'm going to start going to the gym. And I just, I realized along the way that like, there's so much like building an audience and building trust with that audience and figuring out their exact pain points, as opposed to just like the last step of like, okay, I created the sort of flashy revenue generating thing at the end of that process. Well, there's a really, really important principle there, which is that very often when people think about goals, all they think about is that like prize at the end, right? They think about being a rock star on stage with screaming fans or having the super fit body or being the kind of person that wrote a book. But you don't think about the process and you don't think about the day-to-day life. And one of the things that is critically important for any kind of long-term project is, you know, in many ways you have to fall in love with the process. You have to find ways to build a system and build a, an identity around the day-to-day grind of the thing, right? So you talk about an online course. This is a goal we've shared for a while. I actually did launch my online course to teach game design as a beta this year, and we're going to launch it in full. Um, it's one of my goals for first quarter of next year. Um, uh, but, and, I, and it's one of the things I teach was like, you can, you know, the idea of like your game is done is great, but if you don't love that process 
of iterating, prototyping, testing, getting feedback, going back to the beginning and doing it again. You don't get enjoy that. I'm not to say you enjoy every moment of it. Some of it sucks, I'll be honest. But if you don't learn to be like good with that, you're not going to be as successful as a game designer. If you don't learn to enjoy and be get part of your identity of going to the gym and working out every day or at least whatever, five days a week, whatever it is, you're not going to be super fit, right? You're not going to be able to do those things. So, so the knowing what the day-to-day life of it is and it being something that you can enjoy and create a sustainable habit around is way more important than any specific goal um, or any specific thing you're going to do. So the goal can maybe be that carrot at the end of the stick or as I like to talk about it, the the laser pointer for a cat, right? I, I think if, I, I don't, that that you have a the the cat can chase around a laser pointer and have tons of fun running around going after it, but there's no there there. They're never going to catch it. There's no actual you know nothing's there. But it's so th- I like to think about my goals in the same sort of way. It's great to set them. It's fun to chase them, but don't pretend. Don't lose sight of the fact that they're illusory, and it's the actual day to day life of it that matters. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And that's that's like. Sometimes I think about like, what are the, you know, when you have like a milestone birthday or something, you think like kind of what are the realizations? Uh, I had a kid, as you know, this year, my wife and I had a baby, baby girl. And, uh, and you just, I don't know, you, you, certain moments in life just sort of make you think of like, take stock of where you are so far and what are all the lessons you've learned and all that kind of stuff. And for me, the one that you just mentioned, I think is probably up there in like the top three sort of like ways that my mind has changed over the years from exactly what you described of just like, you know, you got the poster up on the wall. Hey, I want to be that when I grow up with no thought to, I want to do the daily grind. It's just like, it's like, I want to walk in a teleporter as who I am today. I don't want to walk out the teleporter, like holding up the trophy. And I have zero desire to go to the gym, put in the reps, do the writing, whatever it was. Like, it's just, I used to tell my parents, like, I'm going to be, you know, a star of these five different sports that I enjoyed. and I'm going to accomplish this thing and this thing. But it's like, I wasn't practicing any of those things, nor did I have any desire to. I just, I wanted the outcome. Yeah. And, and I want to, and I want to like bring this down to earth even more for people because, you know, they may be, I can imagine there's some people listening. It's like, whatever, I don't like going to the gym. Nobody likes going to the gym. Right. Like, and, and to some extent that that that's true. I didn't like going to the gym when I first started going to the gym either, but this is where like you, you start to try to train yourself. And, and when we talk about the idea of like small wins, that's why starting small and saying, yeah, I did it is a huge success. Right. It's it, the, the, the idea of like, look, for your first starting to work out, like do just the seven minute routine. Like there's that, there's a, you know, the seven minute high intensity routine that was popularized. Like do something very smart or go for a walk every day, right? And then reward yourself. Like, and I will literally, as you know, I've been working on like a, you know, my own little sort of workbook uh, journal, like a gamified journal. Where I'll ch- put a check mark when I complete my habit and I get, and I award myself points for it. There's plenty of, you know, sites like, habit RPG or other fitness trackers, like giving yourself those little rewards for successes helps to build up the joy and the identity and the habit so that it becomes enjoyable. And I'm able to do now way more in my daily workout routine than I ever would have dreamed of doing even two years ago, because I started small, I rewarded successes, and I built up the habit over time into something that was enjoyable and fun. And and again, you can find the little bits for you, right? If you love swimming, then make swimming your routine. If you know you like being around people, find a group class, you know, post COVID to go to go work out in or, you know, find the things that you can ways to shape your 
um, your behavior so that it can cultivate the kinds of things that you enjoy. It can cultivate the love of those activities. It doesn't have to be a hundred percent like from the get go. I love, you know, making prototypes, you know, I love writing, you know, you can, you can get to that point, uh, even if you're not necessarily there now, but the focus should be on building that routine and joy and, and consistency rather than the, yay, I'm a New York times bestselling author. Yeah. Uh, hope. <laughs> right. Yeah, speaking of New York Times bestselling authors, uh, a nine or ten times New York Times bestselling author, Neil Strauss, who, who we both know and have been mentored by, um, his book, Everyone Loves You When You're Dead, it's I think probably his one of his least famous books because he's written some pretty well-known books. Um, it's probably the one that's impacted me the most for this reason that we're talking about because he basically interviewed celebrity after celebrity after celebrity. He used to do the you know interview rock stars and and musicians for the, uh rolling stone and the new york times and he just uh, every name you can think of in music and hollywood he's interviewed them and he just like kind of excerpted them into the book and it's funny because like over and over and over again the lesson is basically there is as you said with the laser pointer there's no there there like even for the people who are successful we're talking about it from the sense of like you're not going to get there, you know, if you don't put in the reps or whatever. But even for the people who reached like the absolute pinnacle of success, the lesson was there was no like you get to this mountaintop and then you're just like standing on a mountaintop. Like it was just the journey of of going. Like there's no like level that you reach where you're now like I don't have to do the thing anymore. I just you know. Then you become what like a one hit wonder in music or something like that. Like that nobody wants to. Be that. Well, even if you're not, even when you're super successful, it's, you know, a lot of the people for whom they are driven to great success by this, you know, feeling of, of lack and not enough and, the, you know, sometimes very severe depression. And they think, well, look, if I just get to here, right, if I become super successful, if I'm a number one, you know, bestseller, if I have the, you know, whatever tour, I have the things, then I'll be okay, then everything will be fine. And then that's when you have a lot of these a lot of high profile, you know, drug addicts and suicides and things like that, even from the, the what everyone else would aspire to be the most successful, best you could possibly do top of the world. This is it. And that's not going to be the thing that fulfills you. And and that's where the, the deeper lesson, you know, of all of this stuff is like, you know, self-worth and love and acceptance are never out there. There's nothing in the world that can provide those things for you. You have to find the ways to provide those things internally, right? You have to internally reference to build that sort of stuff up. And then the the external stuff is, is you know, it's fun. It's great. It's good to work towards. And it's it, But if you're looking for that as the way that you're going to be okay or you're going to validate yourself, that it's just a recipe for failure. And unfortunately, it's the, it's the recipe we're all drilled into uh, every day. And right. It's something, it's certainly something I've fallen victim to throughout most of my life and still occasionally fall victim to. So I don't want to act like some kind of saint that doesn't, you know, doesn't, doesn't also look for validation out there, but, but I try to build habits and, and mental habits and routines that, that correct for that. Yeah. I mean, I would go as far to say as that's, if there's a, if there's a meaning of life or a purpose of life or something, I think the, the process of discovering that, and not just intellectually, like the lesson that you just described, but actually like internalizing that. I think if you look at, you know, most religions and certainly a lot of philosophy, it, it just comes down to different versions of, of what you're describing, right? Of like losing this attachment to all this external stuff, whether it's what people think about you or possessions or any of it. Not to say that it's bad, but just that 
if you think that that's the purpose is to gather all of that stuff rather than like who you are inside, then you're just going to keep suffering and struggling. There's no end to it. There's no enough. Right. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, if you look at, at you know, the teachings of, you know, whether it's Buddhism or Stoicism and a lot of these very like long-term successful philosophies that they, they echo this exact sentiment and it, and it's not like the life changes, right? The, there's one of the, 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 the Zen Coens, you know, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water after enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Right? It's not that your life changes. You still do the same things. It's just you have a different attitude and approach towards it where you're able to be at peace. And so one of the things, you know, you, you obviously you had a kid. It's a huge one of the huge moment where it sort of you rethink your priorities and where you're at in life and, you know, reevaluate stuff. I turned 40 this year, sort of another one of those sort of milestones like, OK, what you know, what am I at? Where how do I feel about this? What's the next phase of my life look like? Um, and you know, there's various kind of mantras and, and core lessons that I've, I've picked up over the years that I, I, I keep trying to remind myself. And, and my version of this is sort of like, you know, I'm content no matter what I have and always working towards exciting and meaningful goals, right? Like the, the, the achieving of the goals is not what's important, that things, wherever I am in life, I'm going to, you know, find my gratitude and contentment. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to be fired up about doing things that I, I want to get done and things that are that I find meaningful. And then that'll change from time to time. You know, when we talk about this idea of annual review or, you know, decade review and, you know, or, or you know, or quarterly review, right, wherever you're at, um, the way I, I find that there's this sort of rhythm to life, right? There are some times where you've got a plan, you're on a path, you're kind of steady as she goes, and you're looking to like just optimize and improve. And there's other times where you are completely lost, right? You know, they, they call it a midlife crisis or whatever. But I think realistically, Every five to 10 years, everybody, I think, goes through something like this where you've changed a lot. You've maybe you've accomplished the things you set out to accomplish. Maybe you're on that path and it doesn't feel fulfilling to you anymore. And there's this period of struggle. There's this period of uncertainty. And for a lot of people, they take it that, that causes a lot of suffering. And I've learned that, like, when you sense that, don't don't think of it as something wrong with you. It's OK. Right. Just it, you just be then you need to kind of sit with that and then think, OK, what is it that's going to get me excited and, and drive me again? What's the next layer of my karma as as you know, Buddhist language would put it right? Or what's the next thing that's going to drive me forward and go explore? And and when we talk about how do you find the thing that's going to be you know exciting you from day to day, uh, I don't think there's usually you know, you can research, you could write, you could journal, all this stuff helps. But a lot of times it's just doing that's going to unveil that for you. Right. And I look for the things that chase my, where my energy level goes up from day to day. Right. That's one of the best, best hacks. If you, to find out what's, what's going to be a good driver for you. You know, if your energy level is high, you're doing the right things. If your energy level is low, there's things you got to change. Um, and that can be obviously things, basic things like mental and physical habits. It can be the work that you do. Um, you know, w when you're just like, I don't want to go out of, get out of bed anymore. I'm sorry, I'm over it. Then that's a, a big sign. Something's wrong. And when you are, you know, maybe not jumping out of bed, maybe you're getting your cup of coffee, but when you're excited about your day more often than not, then, then, okay, you're probably on the right path. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That's, that's such an important overlooked barometer of what you should be doing. And just bringing this all back to kind of ground level, I could talk on the 
philosophy side of this all day, but we promised, you know, goals and goal setting routines. And I, I think these are actually the most important principles. So I'm very glad we got to them. But just thinking like in terms of how they translate into into setting goals, for me, one of the things I realize is that I set too many goals, right? It's it's so it's very easy to write something down in a in a Google Doc or on a piece of paper or wherever you put your goals and say like, you know, this year I want to do this, 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 and this. And you mentioned something in passing there that just like maybe sometimes it's just keep going. And as I went from, you know, looking at 2020 and thinking about 2021, I actually feel like I'm in a good place, not necessarily like I've achieved everything I want to achieve, certainly not. But I feel like the things that I'm working on right now are the things that I want to be working on. And they're the things that do excite me. And it's, I have the opposite problem where it's too easy for me to just get excited about the next thing and move on to that. And when I look at areas where I haven't been as successful as I wanted to be, or things just didn't work out, goals didn't get accomplished, or, you know, started some business and it didn't come successful. In almost all cases, it's not because it was like a bad idea. It's it's really and I and I tell people, oh, yeah, it didn't work out. It wasn't a good idea as bad concept. We moved on to something else. But really, I find that other people were successful with the same thing. And the difference is they just stuck with it. Whereas I got distracted, you know, the first time it didn't look great or you know got a little boring or whatever. I just allowed myself to find some new shiny object. So for me, a lot of when I looked at my 2020 review and I looked at 2021, a lot of what I was doing was just basically like not adding new stuff, but trimming stuff that I said I was important in 2020. But now when I look back, I'm like, those aren't the things that are going to move the needle and just trimming that list down. Yeah. And, and again, I think this, I, I, I want to get concrete with it, but also, you know, also a little bit philosophical because I do think, I think this depends on where you're at in your life. Again, like if you're in this period where I don't know what I want, I'm not like, you know, you're young and trying things out or you're in one of these kind of wandering periods, then I do think it's reasonable to do a lot, right? Just say yes to everything, kind of try stuff and find something that's going to get you excited. But when you have things that you're already excited about or you're already successful, right? I mean, I look back, you know, when I, if I, when I do reviews, like, you know, I'm living my dream life of five years ago. Like I've, I'm well beyond what I was imagining I was going to be able to do. So fantastic. But, um, so, but then I have, yes, I have new aspirations, but also, yeah, mostly I just, I need to be doing less, right? And so one of the principles that I've I've adopted for this is is the rule of 3, uh which is something I've I've picked up from Chris Bailey originally um in the productivity project and um got a chance to talk with him a bit. Um and it's just basically a tool for focusing and like it sounds like it's you should be having no more than 3 priorities. And the thing I love about the rule of 3 and as I've like adopted it in my life and is it scales to every level right? I have three goals every day. I have three goals every week. I have three goals every month. I have three primary goals for the year. Now, the scope of what those goals are and the focus, air, you know, for the, each year, it's like three areas of focus more more practically. Uh, but it really helps me to dial in. You know, it's not that there's not more than three things you want to get done. There always are. I always have a long list of stuff. But knowing that these are your priorities, they're the things that come first, uh, is so powerful to be able to just zero in on what really matters. And so I've, I, I cannot recommend this rule strongly enough because it's so practical, so simple, so implementable, and it is just, it does so much. And I do the same thing in my company with my teams. Everybody does reports their three goals. We have like three priorities for the week for the team. And when I do quarterly reviews with the team, same thing, every tier, it's been drilled into them and it makes things so much easier. Um, so, so that's like a very practical down to earth, like superpower that everybody can adopt 
you know, right now. So we're like thinking of 2021 kind of goal setting and all that. So you start with like, you know, three slots on a piece of paper and then decide, you know, these are the three things I'm going to focus on and then break those down into sort of like quarterly goals or what's the process like? Yeah. So my process is actually very similar to the core design loop, the same process that I teach um, for, uh, for designing games. And I believe it's true for most creative process, whereas originally it's sort of, you know, the broad scale inspiration. Like if I have a list of stuff that I've either accumulated and I, I do over time of stuff that I'm excited about or things that I've previously thought maybe I'd want to do, but haven't, I'll have a broad list of stuff that I'm excited about or things I might want to do. Um, and then I will, there's usually sort of categories that will kind of, you know, you could break life into. There's a bunch of them, but, you know, maybe it's, or it's, you know, maybe it's physical health, mental health, career, learning and growth, family and relationships, fun and excitement. You know, it doesn't almost doesn't matter exactly how you break it down, but there's a variety of these categories out there that you can kind of find. So using these categories as parameters to kind of put things into buckets, I find is kind of helpful so that you don't to weight yourself on one side. Um, and, you know, and then what I'll do is for the year, I'll pick, you know, of those, th I'll pick three of those categories that I want to focus on. And then within that, I'll pick whatever my top three things of that category that are like going to be the way I'm going to progress in that, right? So it was, you know, two years ago, relationship was a really big priority for me. And I got engaged and was really focused on making that as great it could be. And then my relationship was in a really good spot. So this last year was much more about my career and then learning and getting this course off the ground and like beginning to cultivate this idea of teaching and learning and growing that way. Right. And so it'll shift from year to year based on what I assess my kind of what, you know, where my life is at and what's most important to me at that time. Um, so, so when, when I'm saying year goals, it's really these sort of year categories that then kind of subdivide into sort of three specific action items for each of three specific categories is how I approach it now. Yeah. For, for me, I, I definitely, if, if I don't put like reminders to think about those other sort of main focus buckets, it's too easy for me to just go like way deep on like the work one and have it like super broken down and then just be like, yeah, other stuff and not, not, so yeah, it's helpful to even just start with that kind of like as a prompt, right? Family, relationships, friends, work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, within the sort of scope of work and work for me doesn't mean, you know, like somebody's paying you a salary. It's like life's work, right? It's, I try to tear down that barrier between, you know, the stuff that you're officially doing as part of some paid project. And just for me, it's anything I'm creating, thinking about it's, I think life's work is the best way I can describe it. Going back to the idea that I was talking about with wanting to, to launch a course and then realizing that like, that's maybe the end of a process rather than the start of a process where, where I ended up with that train of thought was building an audience is really like the first step towards so many of the different things I want to do. Like I talk about many different things that are, that I have so many of these kind of like shiny object type things I want to chase and do. And Tim Ferriss often talks about the Pareto principle, but like in other terms, like what's the one decision that makes all the other decisions easier or irrelevant or something like that. And for me, when I look at like all of the things that are on my list that I would like to achieve or things I'd like to work on, almost all of them benefit from having an audience of people who are already sort of paying attention to what I'm writing or talking about. They're engaged with what I'm doing. And that's just not something I've really put enough effort into so far. And so that's top of the list for me of those kind of like focuses for, for the year ahead. 
Yeah, yeah, it's great. And it's just to underline that, um, that point, you know, for anybody that's unsure, you know, what uh, things that they might want to do, the, you know, building an audience, which is another way to say, you know, add value to the group of people that you want to serve, get better at communicating, right, no matter what you want to do in life, whether that's whether that's verbal speaking or writing or whatever, communicating is always a superpower. And you know, work on your physical and mental health. That the, the those those three things that that's you know exercise or meditation or something along those lines are things that are going to like serve you almost no matter what you do, where you go in life. Um, and so they're great like overarching uh, strategies for for quite a bit of of flexibility. Definitely, and I'm glad you said that because within break, building an audience is still it's it's like a an early step towards a lot of the kind of big picture goals but it's not exactly you don't sit down for 20 minutes and build an audience right it's not it's not an action it's still sort of an outcome and so again i kind of like recurse like recursively going through these i'm like okay so how do you build an audience and it is exactly what you described it's creating value for the people who you care about or, or who you want to serve or who care about the same things you care about and so for me that's going to take the form of creating more just content. This podcast is certainly part of that. I, as I've said to you before, and, and as I've said on the show before, these are the conversations I love having anyway. The only difference is I wasn't recording them and sharing them with the world before. They were just conversations you know, that only two people were hearing, and now a lot more people are hearing them. Um, I have an email list. I do send the occasional email, but I always wonder, that's like, do they, you know, are people going to unsubscribe if I send too many emails or like, you know, are, are certain people who are on the list who joined because of this other thing that I did, are they going to be like not interested in this? And I was reading, uh, there's a guy, it's Billy, I think his last name is Broas, who does um, online marketing for courses actually, but I was just reading something he wrote and I love the way he framed this. He's like, yeah, people are going to unsubscribe when you start emailing your list, but it's like knocking the barnacles off a ship before you go out to sea. And it, and it's it's silly, but it's like it's so true because if if I if I'm sending emails about the stuff that I care about and want to write about, and the people who are reading it don't receive those, I'm like, why the hell do I care if they're on my list or not? Like, what's the, what kind of vanity metric is it? Just like number, you know, whatever. If I lose a thousand email subscribers who are not interested in the stuff I want to talk about, what value are they providing anyway? Well, yeah. Well, if your ego is based on how many people are on your email list, then now that's why it hurts you, right? That's 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 the challenge. But <laughs> but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right that it's it's um you know you your goal of building an audience is not to have that number be as big as possible. It's it's to you know attract the people who you know you can serve best and that you're you know you want to serve and to repel those that you don't like part of the job is to repel those people. You don't want to be wasting their time because that's bad for them and it's bad for you. And that's very hard, right? Same thing is true, again, just sort of going back to what I, you know, to game design, it's, you know, people want to make games that everybody's going to love at all ages and then play at all the things, right? And that's just not the realistic target. You want to target a, a small niche of people who you are going to absolutely love what you have to bring. And over time, that may grow, and it will if you do good work, but you don't want to be trying to 
you know, serve everybody. It's just, it's too intimidating. And, and then again, to underline another point that we talked about before, when you're saying, Hey, I'm just having the conversations I'd love to have anyway, right? That's exactly the kind of thing we're talking about when we say, make sure you like the day to day of it, right? I did the same thing when I started my podcast. I love having conversations about design and deep dive into all the different components of it. Uh, but I also wanted to make sure that my structure of the podcast wasn't too onerous for me. So like, unlike a lot of podcasts, I only do typically once a month. I, go for as long as I want. You know, some podcasts will be two hours long or some will be, you know, an hour. It doesn't matter. You know, it, there's no, I did not put myself under those restrictions because I just want to say, look, I'm going to have this conversation for as long as it's interesting to me. And after that, I'm going to stop. If it's like really interesting to me to deep dive into some really, really niche component of design for a lot of my audience is not going to care about, they, they could stop listening. Uh, and so there, those those elements really do make a big impact in in the sustainability of the project, especially for things like this, where like the podcast, like, you know, I mean, I don't I don't advertise on my podcast. I don't plan to advertise on my podcast. I'm not trying to make money from the podcast. I'm just trying to like serve the people that I want to serve. And then, you know, there's plenty of opportunities if they like what I'm doing to you know, buy my book or the course or do other things that, you know, whatever stuff I want to do down the road. Um, there's, there's value to the audience to me, of course, but that's not the primary concern. And it can't be, uh, I think if you're going to make something that's sustainable and useful. Yes. And, uh, two things from that, I'd love to just sort of like highlight one is that we, well, yeah, when you're creating a podcast or doing any of these things and you do have an audience already and people do like it, it, it almost, it's, it's not a trap, but there's, there's like this idea of, you know, well, should I create this other thing that's a little bit different? Obviously, uh, musicians go through this all the time. You know, the new album doesn't sound like the old album. And the thing is, there's so much content out there now. Like I've heard this referred to as like the Netflix strategy, where it's like Netflix doesn't worry about if every single member is going to like every single show that they put out. They just put so much stuff out there that they know that the, if you have any enjoyment of like video whatsoever, like if you have a pulse, you can probably log into Netflix and find something that you're going to enjoy watching. But they don't care that, you know, you're not necessarily going to like everything that's up. You might only like 1% of it, but there's still going to be like a lifetime worth of content for you in that 1%. And that, that makes sense for Netflix, but I think as an individual creator, there's still that, – that still sort of rings true. Like I, you shouldn't put out garbage, but at the same time, if you just – yeah, if you want to deep dive into something that you know most of your audience isn't going to be interested in, the few people who are going to be interested in that are still going to love it. and why not do it? Yeah, yeah. This is where the you know things get more complicated the bigger your audience gets and the more established your identity is in the public sphere. Um, because I I agree with you, but it becomes emotionally harder uh, as you get more people that are sort of following and that are going to complain. You know, like I am, you know, and I'm working to relaunch a popular game that I had that went out of print and I'm going to relaunch it in a way that's like different. That's more, I think better and more interesting to me, but I know it's going to be different. And the people who want exactly what they had before are going to get mad at me. Right. And they're go absolutely, I know I'm going to get hate mail. I know I'm going to get flamed on social, you know, various social channels. And I've gotten used to that over time because I know that that's just part of this job. And if you have tons of people that are, you know, upset with you about stuff, uh, in some ways that's a compliment because the alternative is dead silence. And I remember those parts of my career too, right? That's that's the worst. Um, and so what I've what I recommend for this sort of stuff is one, you know, be true to yourself, right? And if you're talking about things that you're interested in and you're creating projects that you're excited about and you're putting things out there, then for sure there are plenty of people out in the world who are gonna have a pretty good overlap with that with your subset. And you want to find those people. They don't have to have 100% overlap, right? The the Tim Ferriss podcast, one of the most popular podcasts in the world. I listen to it pretty regularly. But like less than half of them 
I are things I really like, but those are so good. Uh, and that I really get a lot of value out of that I'm more than happy to kind of just sift through some of the stuff that's not there and just skip an episode here and there. And I'm still going to continue to follow that and still have a huge amount of goodwill towards him such that if he's launching a book or a paid thing or has some ask of his audience, like I'm still there and happy to be a part of that. Um, and so you could kind of find that balance of what are the, you know, what are your your main circles of interest and what is the, you know, general categories of the people that you want to serve and you know pick projects within there if you're going to make huge jumps away right if i started wanted to start talking about i don't know pet collecting or something i don't know something that's very off from anything that i'm doing right now i might think more clearly about rebranding or doing a project that's like very clearly signaling like hey this is going to be very different if you're not into you know baby alligators don't listen but i think that's just a communication strategy rather than a than a content strategy. I think if you're excited about it enough to kind of do it, then then do it. Yeah, and so I actually, in uh, going back to goal setting and setting goals, I actually have two different goals that are almost, that sound almost the same, but for, at least for me personally, and that's all that really matters, they mean two different things. And one is to create value, and going back to this idea of building an audience. So it's creating value, and that's something that's more, it's more of that sort of like iterate and measure, put things out there. I have a very specific niche in mind. I know in general what they want. I think I know how to give it to them, but it's the kind of thing where like, you know, create, test a little bit, give it to people, put it in front of them, see if they like it, make something better and really keep like refining that. And that's on the create value side. But I also have something which is where like, I don't want to necessarily get trapped by that because it's so easy to measure things these days, right? It's so easy to see how many downloads did this episode have? Who clicked on which article? Right. In the news business, this gets talked about a lot from like clickbait to the so-called vegetables news. And just for me personally, I don't only want to share the things that I know are going to do well. I, I want to just take the stuff that's in my head and put it out into the world. So I have like a create consistently, like put it out there kind of goal for the year that I have some specific ideas around. And then I have like a create value one. And so they're, they're both sort of around this idea of putting stuff out into the world. But one is like give people what they want. And the other one is just don't let it only live inside your head. Because for way too many years, I've had kind of like two categories of things. The stuff somebody's paying me to do and the stuff that I think I should be doing, but I'm not because – Nobody's paying me to. And it's just like, hey, that was a good idea I had 10 years ago. Somebody finally created that business or wrote about that topic. And I'm like, you know, not anymore. I'm just I'm putting it all out there. Yeah, I think that, uh, well, there's yeah, there's multiple layers to that. The, you know, the general, uh, you know, treating the things that you're not getting paid for as, you know, as important or more important than things you are getting paid for, especially if you're, you know, not happy doing the things that you're getting paid for. Um, also, and this is something that has been driven home for me again and again and again it was you know true when i've done wrote my book and the podcast and the course and all the other the conversations you have the teaching people and sharing what you know makes you yourself makes you smarter right makes you learn more right when you have to be able to formulate your opinions in a way that can communicate clearly to others you have to refine your thinking and you also when you're able to have sort of conversations or you know when i when i teach the course i could see people's lessons, when they land, when they don't, what things need to be improved, where like their process actually differed a little bit from what I was recommending. And actually, that's a better way to teach it. And that's a better way to do it. Or I learned from a podcast guest or a conversation like this, like that continually improves you. And so there is, 
so much value of sharing what you know. Even if you, you know, somebody listening or whatever, you don't feel like you're an expert or you don't feel like you have the authority to do this. This is a so common, the kind of imposter syndrome problem. And it's something that, you know, even, you know, where I'm at in my career now, I still face from time to time or when I want to add value in a different area, right? You and I have talked about this and I'm sure we're going to transition to it shortly um, that, you know, we talk, we love the idea of like asking these important questions and the value of wrestling with those questions is so critical. It's so much better than reading passively or watching some video or even listening to this podcast. The difference of you actively asking the question to yourself and being able to wrestle with it and is the way that you learn and implement more powerfully than anything else that I have experienced in my own life. And then, you know, to be able to sort of share that sort of stuff and, and, and force you to actively engage with the work uh, is, is so critical. Speaking of those questions, we're, we are going to come to them. I'll give you one example of one right now. I know you subscribe as well. James Clear, the Atomic Habits guy, sends out a great, his 321 newsletter, which includes content that he creates. It includes a couple of quotes and it includes a question. And the question in, I think it was the latest one is what, it's very on topic for us. What is a mistake you seem to repeat each year and what can you do to prevent it this time? And in my case, I've been thinking about this even before he sent it, because that was kind of along the lines of this annual review we're talking about. But that certainly brings it to a fine point. And for me, it's that idea of just setting a bunch of goals, things I want to achieve, it being somewhat disciplined about it, but still kind of putting more stuff out there. But this is the crucial one. Doing it in a way where the goal is measured by what I'm going to call like a lagging indicator, right? And a lagging indicator would be something in the, in the context of goal setting lose 10 pounds. You only know that you've lost 10 pounds once you've lost 10 pounds. A leading indicator would be, which is, you know, that's my, what am I going to do to prevent it this time, would be to set goals with a leading indicator. And for, in the case of something like, say, weight loss, that would be something like, you know, go to the gym every day or, you know, run every morning or eat a certain way or whatever, whatever tactic that you're using, it's not just measuring the final end result of like what happens after you've done it a certain number of times. It's the thing that you can measure as you're doing it to make sure that you're on track. Like you talked about the quarterly reviews. And so I'm kind of breaking them down even further into just like things like send at least one email every week. Within each of my goals, I'm, I'm using a framework that and Lore from Nest Labs, she called, I'll link to this in the show notes, she calls it her packed framework as opposed to smart goals, which are kind of like the right specific measurable and so on, typical goals that we set. I think you could still set a smart goal this way, but generally they're still focused on like this thing that you're trying to achieve down the road as opposed to like a continuous process that you're doing to get there. So for me, my, my answer to the James Clear question is I'm setting my goals in a way that they are like day-to-day -day habits and activities rather than just like some, you know, by this time next year, I hope I will have achieved. I think that's, I think that's great. Another, another way to come at that, I think is uh, a fun exercise to go through is write down your ideal day, right? Not, not your, not your ideal, like vacation, I'm drinking margaritas on a beach kind of day, but like your ideal, like productive, normal, like work day that you're going to build your life around. And knowing what those habits are and what that day looks like and then compare it to your actual day, okay, what are things I can do to sort of move me more in that direction? And that's sort of my answer as for, to that question to the, you know, what's the biggest mistake I do is like, I know what my ideal day is. Occasionally I have those ideal days and I'm super productive, you know, setting aside time for like just writing and creativity and like not 
touching email for till afternoon. Uh, but it's so hard. I continually fall short and, you know, will fall down those rabbit holes faster and earlier than I, than I want to. Uh, and so it's again, just trying to sort of reinforce it. Even though I know for sure that my life is better and my work is better when I do it the other way, uh, it, I, I still fall into those traps, but being able to have that ideal to work towards, I think is at least really, really important. Um, because if you are, you know, your, your life is made up of those days. And if your, your days are great, then your life is great. Full stop. And if your days are not great, your life is not great. So that's, there's no, no better metric to measure yourself by. So those are, I mean, a few examples of those kind of great questions, right? So what's a mistake you seem to repeat each year? What could you do to prevent it? That's, that's something that most of us aren't even necessarily thinking about. What's your ideal day? How does it differ from your current day? And I mean, you, you hinted at this, so let's, let's go there. Those are the types of questions that for me, having spent more than 10 years now, sort of like deep in this kind of personal development, self-improvement world of like, you know, reading the books, going to the Tony Robbins seminars, watching the TED Talks, and really just like obsessing over this kind of stuff. What I've realized is that just getting the information, right, listening to the lecture, treating it like like entertainment, right? If you watch like a lecture or a TED Talk the same way you watch a movie where you just kind of like lean back in your chair, eating the popcorn and enjoying it, like th that can be fun and there's nothing wrong with doing that but it's not where you get the benefit like you don't get the self-improvement the transformation the outcome if you just kind of passively watch or read or, or even just like sort of think about it but the actual transformation in all cases from my experience comes from actually sitting down and applying the lessons that are being taught or that are in the book uh, to your own life, like actually doing the hard thing of being like, oh yeah, like what, you know, where am I falling short? What's the mistake I'm making? How could I, you know, whatever the question is, actually pulling that question out of whatever it is that you're reading or watching and then applying it to yourself. Yeah, that sounds so important, but it sounds so difficult, Neville. If only, if only there was a way that people could, could break that down into bite-sized chunks, you know, where it was easy to sort of get those questions presented to you and you could, I don't know, in less than maybe 10 minutes a day, you could answer those questions for yourself to really apply things. I, if something like that existed, I would think it would be incredibly valuable, don't you? I, I actually went as far as collecting those kinds of questions for a long time. Like I, I realized that, oh yeah, the question is the valuable part. And so I, I got in the habit of like, anytime I was reading something, especially a book of like this kind, or even just like a biography of someone who was really successful. And like, I found that they had a question that they asked themselves over and over in their career or whatever it was. Like I, I was smart enough to get in the habit of collecting those questions. But even then, as you just kind of hinted at, I had no routine for going back and actually doing like the process of thinking about those questions. I would just put them in a notebook. Speaking to the broader questions, like that is exactly the same process. Like, so you and I have been friends for two years now or so, and we've been, and I have over the course of the last, yeah, eight to 10 years, done the exact same thing where I just have a hashtag questions kind of link within all of my notes that I can always search for and find the key questions from everything that I've read. And if I don't have a key question out of something I've read or a TED talk I've watched or something, that that means I didn't actually get value out of it. Like those key, those are the ways that I'm able to derive value. Uh, and it's something that, yeah, like you said, it's been tough because a decade worth of questions and these things like how do I know how often should I review them what triggers me to do so are very tough challenges exactly so you're you're the one other person I know who's like nerdy enough about this stuff that to actually literally have like a folder 
full of these questions, right? We both, we each compared notes one day and realized that we both had like a notebook full of great questions that we were collecting. And we're talking right now on December 31st, like the one time of year when most people do kind of sit down and do at least some sort of like review of their life, or, you know, ask themselves a question of where am I going? Where do I want? But outside of that, I find that even the people who are like nerdy like us, who think about this kind of stuff, who are into personal development, don't really have a process for like resurfacing those questions on a day-to-day -day basis. And that was something where like, I had been thinking about this for a long time and I'm just like, you know, should I program something on my computer? Should I like set up a notebook where like I tag each one with a date or put, put it in my like Asana to-do list so it like pops up? And we just came up with this idea of like, what if you could just get one of these questions put in front of you every day. What would be like the easiest way to do that? And well, I'll, I'll cut to the chase, fast forward to the result that we've been talking about. So together we created a thing called Quality Questions and it's for right now as simple as possible. We kept it really easy and it's just, you go to a website, you sign up, you put in your email address and every day you get one of these questions sent to you as like a prompt with a little bit of like context to explain, you know, how the question, why it matters or how to think about it. And it's just a few minutes a day. You can actually get one question a day and, and apply these lessons to your own life on a, on a regular basis rather than, you know, as we said, once a year or never that most people do. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think that, you know, you, uh, you and I have been working on this for what, at least six months now, I think, um, to get this thing put together. And, and again, I've had, been having these conversations for multiple years and it's something I'm very excited to be able to share with people um, because it is uh, taking a lot of that hard work and and really distilling it down into something that you know I was sort of joking about earlier but really you can do in 10 minutes a day with you know we're not charging for this it's something that we've put out there just for people to be able to access it's the perfect time of year to do it because the nice thing about taking something, right? It's easy to, as we talked about at the at the top of the the hour, that it's easy to sort of set goals at the beginning of the year and then never look at them again, right? And so now you could set a goal and take an action immediately by signing up for this series of questions, and then you'll receive an action, simple action to take every single day, a basic question that'll take you less than 10 minutes to answer. And then those questions will drive towards actions. They'll drive, it was very important to us. Like we spent a ton of time refining the copy in the, each of these emails and refining the questions and how they feed into one another so that it's each step is easy and is like a win that you can get. And then eat, and then they turn into real changes in life. And I think, you know, we started off with the, the, the questions like, what, what's going to give you the most energy? How do you incorporate that in your life? You know, these kind of exact principles that we've been talking about here and that we talk about all the time to really break it down in a way that people can access. And, and so I, I, I'm very excited. It's something that uh, I'm glad we got it done just in time for this uh, magical, uh, magical end of year date. Um, and I hope people get value out of it. Again, you know, we, we, we talked tying it back into other things, right? The goal of like, you know, adding value to the people that you want to serve. And I think if people out there that are, you know, kind of nerdy like us and and love this idea of self-improvement and have spent a lot of time reading these books or wishing they were reading these books because they don't have the time, uh, these are, this is the perfect thing for, for, for you guys. And, and for those out there that do try it, you know, let us know what you think too, right? I mean, that this is our goal too. We want to be able to serve people better. And I think that there's an awesome core here that will serve people, but we also have tons of ideas on how to improve it and make it better. And that's going to be one of, you know, it's one of my goals uh, for 2021 is to really be able to serve people on that level, right? To be able to really help and teach and inspire millions of people. And so this is one small little piece of that um, that I'm, I'm really uh, proud we were able to make together. Yeah, likewise, just to, just to close it out. So it's, the service is called Quality Questions based on this idea. 
of the these high quality questions we've been collecting. It's qualityquestions.co.co, not .com, is the domain. We'll obviously link to it in the show notes. And there's a there's a very strategic reason why it's qualityquestions.co and not .com. And that reason is because the .com was for sale and it was very expensive and the .co wasn't taken and it was pretty cheap. But the reason it is strategic is because you know, going back to all these goals and everything, one of the things that I've done a lot of times in the past is try to, you know, guess what the market wants, what people need, what they would benefit from, and, and not actually put something out into the world until, you know, I've spent years thinking about it and then maybe never actually doing it. And so the goal with this, you know, you and I have these questions. We've exchanged our notebooks of questions. As you said, for like six months, we've been talking about this, working on this, refining the questions, but we sort of do this stuff anyway together. And by putting this out into the world, what we're trying to do is say, you know, we believe this is very valuable. We both already have this process, but we want to share the process with the world. And there, when you do that, there are a lot of other decisions and ideas that come up. So it's rather than spend, you know, 10 years building an app and building what we think might be the perfect version of this, we put together the simplest thing that we can put out and share with the world. And now the goal is to let people sign up for that get as many people using it as we can in a short time. And it's it's 14 days, I think we should mention, the, the initial uh, round of questions. It's 14 questions that were specifically chosen so that they're not just like some random question. As you said, they, they go together, they feed from one to another. And at the end of the 14 days, what we're really hoping to have is feedback. You know, was this useful? Are the questions the type of questions that people do find helpful? Are there more of a certain type of question? So really, we, we actually want people to engage with it and then also give us feedback. And we'll have like a, you know, a prompt for that at the end of the 14 questions. Yeah, that's right. And and so the, the you know, we believe this will add value to you. If you think this is the kind of thing that, that, that will, then sign up. And if you want this is something that you want to see more of or changes to, um, also please share it with other people, right? The more people that we see that are inter interested in this, the more that it justifies us working on it more. There's tons of cool, not only additional questions and areas of focus, but also tons of extra features. You know, as a game designer, I'm very prompted to sort of give rewards and incentives and things that kind of can help you even further get into this and, and, and get that positive reinforcement loop for uh, doing these things and, uh, you know, take putting the questions and the answers into action. So uh, I think that it's valuable, you know, just as it is, but I, I think it can be uh, so much more. And, uh, and the people who are the ones that first sign up are going to be the ones that help dictate that because we will take direct feedback from you. And you could watch even not just as a, you know, as sort of a someone who's going to get value out of it directly, but you can actually see the process go along. If you're the kind of person out there that wants to think about starting your own business or launching a product or creating something, like you can see this live. And, and I'm sure Neville and I will come back on the podcast, uh, you know, in, in in a few months, and we can report back on what happened with this experiment and what's next and how it's working. Um, so you can kind of see that go and be a part of that process too. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. I like how I've invited myself back to your <laughs> podcast again. So I hope that's yeah, okay. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I love that you mentioned that, though, because that was actually one of the other goals, goals for this quality questions in particular. But but for me in general is to do more of exactly that, that sort of building in public. Right. Don't do it all behind closed doors and then only show it to the world once it's perfect, but rather get it out there, get feedback, get it in front of people. And just I think you already said this, but just to reiterate, this is totally free. Right. There's nothing to sell here. There's no credit card. There's nothing. It's literally just go sign up for it and you get the questions. And all we want from everyone who does it is just feedback like you know was it useful did you enjoy it would you want more of these and that'll tell us should we keep going on this or just work on one of the many other projects that we both have queued up 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's just, and one of the nice things about this sort of project is whatever comes of it down the road, like it's a great, I think a great free service that I know many people out there will find value in. Um, and so, um, you know, go check it out. I think that's exactly the best place to, to leave it. Is there anything else, Justin, you wanted to cover before we go? No, I think it's been, uh, it's been an incredible, I mean, you know, it's been a challenging year for a lot of reasons. It's forced a lot of people to have to adapt. Um, it's given us, a lot of opportunity, you know, it's, it's, it's cliched to, to bash 2020 right now, right? Obviously there were tons of bad things and things, difficult challenges that came with it, but there are, I think it's worthwhile in addition to, you know, looking at the mistakes of the past and the things that went wrong and the things that you need to get done and haven't done yet and that you want to do, uh, spend some time in gratitude, spend some time being appreciative for the things that are, that you do have. And, you know, I know that, that, this pandemic has made me appreciate my family and friends more and appreciate the things and, you know, that I have more. And I think that it is in addition to this sort of goals and self-improvement stuff, which I love to geek out on and love to work on. Uh, there's, there's no more powerful thing than just spending a little bit of time in appreciation for the stuff that you do have. So I'm going to close on being, uh, my gratitude to you, Neville and our friendship and the things that we have learned and taught each other over the years. And, you know, for everybody else that's out there, uh, you know, that is, on the same path uh, we are all on this path together and uh it's it's a it's a wonderful thing to do even as you uh stumble and wander around in the dark trying to figure out your way i love it thank you so much i'm, I'm also grateful and and like i had a i had a conversation with a friend the other day who's who's been going through some tough times recently and like I love that you that you said that about being grateful because it's so easy to kind of focus on the things that aren't going right. And if you're listening to this, I know this sounds cheesy, but honestly, if you're listening to this, you're still alive and you got that going for you. And like, that is the most important thing. Like you can only just build up from there. And uh, there, yeah, there've been some tough times, but I don't know. I'm, I'm excited and uh, feeling very blessed. Me too. Ha Happy New Year to all. Happy New Year. <laughs>